You're listening to To Succeed, Just Let Go, a podcast that'll change how you think and change your life. I'm Willie Horton and I'm a psychologist. I've been helping people change their lives since 1996. Broadcasting from the French Alps and delighted to have you along. Let's take this week's step in the right direction. For those of you who follow me on a weekly basis, you will know that last week we talked about healthy mind, healthy body. But what is going on in your mind impacts your physical health. For starters, we know from previous conversations that if you think you're suffering from stress, and I say that deliberately for the simple reason that stress is only the creation of our own thoughts. If you think you're suffering from stress, you actually end up suffering from stress, which has a cascading effect on your physical health, whether that be in relation to the damage stress does to your cardiovascular system or your digestive or indeed your immune systems. How we use our minds directly impacts our body. In other words, we said last week, we are what we think. We also talked about we are what we eat. And we talked about how what we think has a major impact on what we eat. More to the point, or more precisely, I suppose, we are how we think. Not necessarily the thoughts in our head, but what we do or don't do with the thoughts in our head. And I want to go back to this theme today because whereas last week we talked about healthy mind, healthy body, this week I want to talk about healthy mind, healthy brain. And indeed, obviously, healthy mind because as cognitive psychology says, mind is what the brain does. In other words, we have this physical piece of equipment between our two ears, but that, when it is working properly, takes on literally a life of its own. It's what we call our mind, and it may well be the gateway through to greater things as well from the perspective of perhaps our spirit. We'll come back to that. If we don't come back to it today, we'll certainly come back to it in due course. If you're not looking after your state of mind, you're not just damaging your body, you're actually obviously damaging your brain as well, which is an integral part of your body. They're not separated. You can't take your head off in the evening and put it in a cabinet and let the rest of you go to bed or vice versa. You're all the one thing. In the same way, by the way, as we talked a few weeks ago about how you are all just a bundle of energy. And, you know, bits of you aren't made up of energy and bits of you are not made up of something else. The fact is that even though we appear solid and physical, we are just what modern science calls vibrating filaments of energy. As we discussed before, in particular last week, when we talked about healthy mind, healthy body, if your mind is not functioning properly, if you're not in the right state of mind, then the filaments of energy will be vibrating in a discordant way and therefore your body will be all over the place and that causes energy blockages in the body and that is the stuff that leads to the disease that we covered in last week's episode. And obviously if I'm not in the right state of mind I'm obviously doing damage to the very 
physical parts of my brain. This is what I want to talk about today. And I want to talk about the implications of that too. Actually, that's not what I want to talk about. I want to talk about being in the right state of mind and enhancing our mental capability and actually enhancing the physical structure of the brain. We're going to look at this, obviously, from a positive point of view rather than a negative point of view. Before we go any further, I need to clarify something, and that is answer the question that is inevitably on the tip of your tongue. What is the right state of mind? See, an awful lot of people will say to me, I have a lot of negative thoughts. And that's only natural, by the way. That is the normal state of mind. Because as we know, again, from previous episodes, the normal mind runs on negative thoughts or negative programs. The normal mind learned these programs during our formative years when it was predisposed to learn from the negative rather than the positive. If I can use an ordinary everyday colloquialism, you learn more from losing than you do from winning. And therefore our minds from the perspective of our own defensive mechanisms is designed to take on negative programs in preference to positive programs. It's a survival thing, it comes from evolutionary times. So therefore, you know, when an awful lot of people say to me, oh, I'm having negative thoughts, that's clearly not the right state of mind to be in. Bearing in mind, I'm answering your question, what is the right state of mind to be in? But being positive isn't the right state of mind to be in either, because what are you doing? You're supplanting or attempting to supplant the negative thoughts with positive thoughts. Now, most people know that there is a dialogue going on in their head. People are talking to themselves all of the time. And, you know, people often say to me, is that a sign of madness? No, it's a sign of simple normality, because there are, as we've explored before, apparently two of you. There's the real you, which actually exists, and there is the imaginary you what cognitive psychology calls the conceptual self, which is the person that you think you are based on your learning from your formative years. So there are actually, when the mind is operating normally, there are actually two of you. And you end up not just having a dialogue, you end up often having an argument with yourself. So some people will say, as I said to you a moment ago, oh, I have negative thoughts, should I replace them with positive thoughts? No, they're just thoughts. What you need to do is clear your mind so that you are present and not paying attention to your thoughts. Now, I did not say clear your mind of your thoughts. I just said clear your mind and be present. We know from previous conversations and from decades of research that the normal thinking mind has whizzing through it every waking day, so we're talking about 17 or 18 hours a day, 70,000 thoughts, roughly, give or take 70,000 thoughts. We know from that research that approximately 97% of today's thoughts are the same as yesterday's and tomorrow will be a repeat performance. That's because the brain running automatically uses the same stuff that we learned during our formative years to enable us make it through the day, to protect us, to enable us survive. We know when we are in that state of mind that we are going to be predisposed to being negative. We also know, by the way, that we're going to be predisposed to a whole range of thoughts that inhibit us, 
In other words, obviously, the self-limiting beliefs that most people have, the perceived inadequacies that most people have, the self-doubt that people have. Some people suffer from lack of self-confidence or low self-esteem. But ultimately, there is a more subtle and insidious form of thought going on that I come across regularly with my clients and owners of the online program. And that is that even if their minds are fairly clear, they believe deep down that they don't deserve all the good things in life, that they are undeserving, or that they are undeserving. And if they did actually get what they didn't deserve in the first place, they would feel guilty. There's a load of rubbish thoughts in there about me being non-deserving and me feeling guilty if I get something that I don't think I deserve. The load of stuff in there. There's another interesting impediment in our way when we use our minds normally as well, when we come to setting our goals and objectives, when we come to thinking about the kind of life that we would really love to live, it's what I would call the unrealistic impediment. In other words, when I ask people, what kind of life would you really like to live? Go off and reflect on that. Whatever you do, don't think about it because you'll use your thinking mind using the thoughts that inhibit you. Don't think about it, go and reflect upon it. Sit somewhere nice, watch the world go by and see what occurs to you. You know, people often call them aha moments, or indeed the most common phrase I hear from my clients is, something's just occurred to me. When people go off and start reflecting on the kind of life they would really love to live, the unrealistic impediment kicks in. So many people over the years have said to me, I went and did that exercise you asked me to do. And I was thinking about, oh, I'd like this out of life or I'd like that out of life. And suddenly I said to myself, oh, no, that's unrealistic. Now, that is simply a product of normal thought. We know and we know from nearly 100 years actual experimental research in this field, all the way back to 1932. So it's not almost 100 years, it's 90 years. And we know most importantly from modern neuroscience that you'll achieve anything that you expect to achieve. Absolutely anything. The sky is not the limit. The only thing that limits normal people is normal thought. So you need to stop thinking. The right state of mind to be in, God, it's an awful long answer to a very short question. What's the right state of mind to be in? But the right state of mind to be in is one of complete clarity and presence of mind. What does that mean? It actually means paying attention to what is going on in the here and now. Paying attention to what you see, feel, hear, smell and taste. The University of Massachusetts Medical School calls this coming to your senses. And that is exactly what it is. That is why meditation, which we talk about a lot in this podcast, is so important. Meditation is the training that enables you retrain yourself. Bear in mind, you could do this as a child. Anyway, retrain yourself to pay all of your attention to the here and now by simply immersing yourself in what you're seeing, feeling, hearing, smelling, and tasting. Now, I know a lot of meditation is done with your eyes closed. And the reason for that is it is easier to develop your ability step-by-step step to pay attention to the here and now with the sense that is most likely to be distracted, turned off. So most meditation will focus on breathing and feeling and listening. But ultimately, the right state of mind to be in in the cut and thrust of your day 
is a clear state of mind when you are fully aware of what you're seeing, feeling, hearing, smelling, and tasting. You're not thinking about it. You're not adding to it. You're not adding stupid thoughts to it like, oh, I couldn't say this, or I couldn't do that, or I don't deserve this, or that's unrealistic. You're adding none of those thoughts to it. You're just being in the moment, seeing, feeling, hearing, smelling, and tasting what's going on, knowing what's going on in the here and now, and being able to do what you need to do to get you to where you really want to go in life. Now, that sounds ridiculously simple, but this is how the mind actually works when we get out of our own way, when we stop giving attention to the thoughts in our own head. This is basically how the brain evolved. The brain evolved to enable you in a life-threatening situation, get the hell out of there as quickly and as effortlessly as possible. So if I was confronted by a man or woman eating tiger, my being mind, my doing mind, the bit of my mind that isn't thinking, procrastinating, as the Irish would say, fecking around thinking about it, the bit of my mind that just does would enable me in the twinkling of an eye, take the quickest and most effortless route to safety without thinking about it. Obviously, if I stopped to think about it, I'd be dead. That's how the brain actually works anyway. So all you have to do is get your thinking mind out of your own way. You don't have to get your thoughts out of the way. You don't have to worry about what thoughts you have that might be holding you back. Most people are obsessed with trying to find out why they have the thoughts that hold them back, why they have these preconceived notions about themselves or perceived inadequacies or why they doubt themselves or why they feel this, that or the other about themselves. You don't even need to know what the thoughts are, never mind how they got there or why they got there in the first place. You need to simply drop your baggage, put it down, and you put it down effortlessly when you pay attention to the here and now. And that is the only state of mind worth being in. Now, the subject of today's episode is healthy mind, healthy mind. So we need to explore for a couple of minutes what that actually does to the brain and the mind, which as I said a couple of minutes ago, is what the brain does. When you meditate, the neural pathways that you newly use in your brain expand in diameter. The little axons that join the nuclei of each neuron in the brain to the synapse that leads to a synapse on the other side of a little gap that leads through another axon, through another neuron in the daisy chain of neurons that make up our neural pathways, those axons expand in diameter. They can expand in diameter by up to 1000%. So in other words, if you've never meditated before, never used these parts of your brain before, you will in effect, through starting to meditate, turn what is an overgrown disused country lane into an eight lane interstate or motorway or auto route or autobahn, depending on where you live, a major highway. And neural traffic travels down the line of least resistance. So you're, what you're doing is building it 
and they will come building it and your neural traffic will flow effortlessly down these super highways that you build for yourself in your mind. Now, that is not an analogy. That is actually an explanation of how the little wires in the brain literally expand, as I said a moment ago, by up to a thousand percent. The insulation around the wires in the head also thickens. It can double in thickness, and that makes for even more effective movement of neural traffic. What this actually means is that over a period of time, and by the way, the period of time is eight weeks. I'll come back to explain why in a minute. But over a period of time, all the neural pathways that you start using as a result of meditation begin to not just grow, but they restructure themselves and they restructure themselves in a coherent way that makes the parts of the doing brain that I mentioned a few minutes ago, the bit that'll enable you escape from the man or woman eating tiger, those parts of the brain restructure themselves and start communicating with themselves in an entirely novel way to enable you simply do what you need to do to get to wherever you want to go, regardless of wherever you want to go. So we're not just talking about escaping from a life-threatening situation anymore. We're talking about achieving your goals and objectives. We're talking about living the life that you would love to live. Eight weeks seems to be, on the face of it, the amount of time it takes to restructure the brain, but that is slightly misleading. I mentioned John Kabat-Zinn and the University of Massachusetts Medical School earlier on, and how they developed mindfulness-based stress reduction therapy in the 1980s. That program is an eight-week program, and science builds on science. And therefore, a lot of the research, not all, bear with me, a lot of the research in relation to what meditation does to the brain is carried out over an eight-week period, simply because the eight weeks came as an idea beforehand. That's all. No other reason for it. Some of the more recent research, some very recent research in this area shows that the neural pathways in the subcortical brain, what I've described as the being and doing brain, start restructuring themselves in just five days. That doesn't mean you stop after five days, by the way. This is a lifelong project. As somebody said to me recently, meditation is a lifestyle choice. And boy, is it a lifestyle choice because you live your life in style once you are in the right state of mind. Once those parts of the subcortical brain start communicating with each other in a novel way, they start enabling you understand what is actually going on in real time so that you can make choices and decisions, the right choices and decisions based on what we might euphemistically call our gut instinct in real time. You know, there is research in the field of cognitive psychology from 2013 that confirms that if you have an important decision to make, you should sleep on it because it's your thinking mind that sleeps. Your being and doing mind figures things out while you're asleep. And an awful lot of people wake up in the morning and will have an aha moment, kind we talked about a few minutes ago, or the right thing will occur to them. In other words, what they need to do will suddenly feel right. When you have been meditating regularly, you no longer need to sleep on making decisions 
or choosing the right thing to do or say. You can do it in the moment. Now, this obviously has a huge advantage where, for example, you're confronted by a bully. We talked about bullies a few weeks ago. If a bully is bullying you and you think that you have to sleep on what the right thing to do or say is, that's useless. The bully's in your face right now. But if you're in the zone and if you have trained your mind in a way that has enabled your physical brain change its structures and change the way the pieces of the brain communicate with each other, you're going to know exactly what you need to say and do on the spot. So this gives us an enormous advantage. And that's only a negative situation. Imagine the advantage it gives us in terms of understanding what's going on in the moment and what the right thing is to do in the moment when presented with an opportunity. It's a different ball game altogether. Let's go further in terms of healthy mind, healthy mind. Because the more healthy your mind becomes, the more these parts of the brain restructure themselves through your daily meditation, the more they get to the point in their intercommunicativity that they suppress or preclude the thoughts that are holding you back from ever coming into your consciousness. In other words, you're not going to have any self-limiting thoughts coming into your head anymore. You're not going to be second-guessing yourself. You're not going to be suffering from self-doubt or self-limiting beliefs. You're not going to have these useless thoughts in the cut and thrust of the moment that say to you, oh, you couldn't say that. In fact, actually, haven't we already explained that? Because you know what to say. And because you're in the zone and because you part your thinking mind, you just say it. You don't even have the thought, oh, you couldn't say that anymore. It's gone. But the fact of the matter is that the latest research shows that regular meditation will ultimately preclude all these self-limiting thoughts coming into your consciousness at all. You put your baggage down and your baggage stays put down. Now, as I said, People say to me from time to time, I can't meditate. Or meditation doesn't turn me on. I'll quote John Kabat-Zinn again, when he says that if you can breathe, you can meditate. Anybody can meditate. It isn't something that works for some people. It works for anybody with a brain, a physical brain between their two ears, regardless of how badly beat up the brain has been through abuse, self-abuse, through useless thought over, regardless how many number of years. You know, I was talking to, but by, by pure coincidence, I, I spoke about three months ago to three new one-to-one -one clients in the one week who all happened to be 59 years of age. And each of them in their own turn, when I met them first on Zoom, said to me, oh my God, have I wasted the first 59 years of my life? And I said to them, each of them individually, it doesn't matter. What matters is that you start living your life to the full now. And it doesn't matter even if you're 75, wait for it wait for it because people often say to me oh i'm too old to change my life you can't teach an old dog new tricks or some people will say to me i i'm just past it and try can't change but the very latest in research into what meditation does to the physical piece of equipment between your two ears is amazing the latest research got together a group of people who had never meditated before in their lives. 
the group of people in the research in question were all 75 years of age. Now, at that age, some of the neural pathways in the brain have atrophied. They've withered and died effectively. Neural atrophy is one of the physical signs of a diminishing cognitive function. And even if you never suffer from dementia, by the way, you're going to suffer from a diminishing cognitive function simply as a result of age. So all these people were got together, 75 years of age, never meditated in their lives before. The research, building on previous science, was carried out over eight weeks. And after the eight-week research period, it was discovered, yes, like everybody else who starts meditating for the first time, some of the little overgrown country laneways in the brain had been developed into the superhighways that we talked about before. You'd expect that. But what was unexpected was that some of the neural pathways that had atrophied, in other words, withered and died, had been brought back to life. They had been rejuvenated and they were functioning as if they'd never atrophied. Even more than that, what was discovered was that some stem cells in the brain, and this is a really interesting thing, we all have stem cells in the brain for all of our lives. It was thought, you know, years ago in child psychology or what is now known as developmental psychology that only young children had stem cells in the brain. Stem cells are the cells that are used to build completely new neural pathways. What was discovered with the 75 year olds was that their stem cells had been used to create completely new neural pathways. In other words, you can meditate yourself younger. And I don't mean that you meditate yourself to feel younger, although there's plenty of research on that. The actual act of meditation rejuvenates the physical brain. Meditation and training yourself to be in the right state of mind has multiple benefits, multiple, multiple physical health benefits in mind and body. I also used the word spirit earlier on as well, and it is something that we will discuss in more detail as our conversations progress. Indeed, even at this moment in time, I have no more than scratched the surface of what meditation does in terms of healthy mind. Healthy mind. It would take an idiot not to understand the key message in not just this episode, but in every episode of my podcast going all the way back at this stage, the couple of years that I have been podcasting. We need to take charge of our own state of mind. You're the only one who can. You need to take responsibility for what's going on in your head. You're the only one who can. You need to meditate and rebuild your brain. You're the only one who can. This is all all in your hands and your life depends upon it. When you hop out of bed tomorrow morning, one of the first things you will do before your day gets going is deliberately set the tone for the day ahead by meditating for a few minutes and starting, at least starting, we'll come back to more later on, at least starting the day the way in which you intend to live it to the full you've been listening to 
to succeed, just let go. To get involved, join me in my Facebook group, strangely enough called, To Succeed, Just Let Go. And for more information, visit www.willie-hall.com.